0: Welcome to the Say the Word Podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Giovanoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Welcome back. This week, we are exploring Mary Oliver's poem, The Mockingbird. Like so many people, I dearly love her words, and I've been looking forward to this all week. Before I begin today, I have a request to make of you. I am loving sharing these quotes and lines from your reading that have meant something in your lives, and I'm asking for more Please send me a favorite bit of your reading, a quote that stuck with you over time or simply made you smile. Tell me why you love it or what it captured for you. I really want to continue to share your thoughts here, and I need your help and your stories in order to keep it going. You can reach me by leaving a comment on the show notes at CindyGivenoli.com podcast, or you can email me directly at staycurious at I can't wait to hear from you. Awesome. So let's get into today's reading. I have an admission to make. I have not always been a lover of poetry. There was a small handful of poems that stood out in my formative years, but the honest truth was that I left high school thinking that poetry meant cryptic, archaic language and weird punctuation. I just didn't get it. I didn't really understand what these poems were trying to say. And I was introduced to a few more poems that landed for me when I was in college, and a few more in my early 20s as I began to work in the outdoors. Maybe it was simply that I was getting older and experiencing a little more of life, but it did seem like quite suddenly Walt Whitman's words just began to click into place and make a little more sense in new ways. But still, most of the time, if someone mentioned poetry to me, I either tuned it out or I rolled my eyes of it. It was only later, really, I mean, within the last decade or so, that I was introduced to what I think of as modern poetry, and I was blown away. These poems felt relevant and honest, and the language was not only accessible to me, but it offered me words to better understand my own heart and my own experiences. The two poets who opened the door for me were Sharon Olds and Mary Oliver. They were my gateways into a world of words that I'd closed myself off to. And it served as a powerful reminder to me that it is always worth revisiting old opinions and entrenched ideas about things, that often a second look or a deeper dive, especially after time has passed and our experiences have broadened our worlds in other ways, can reveal to us that our views have changed or been revised in some way. I've come to love poetry, the way it manages to both be concise and beautiful, while also laying bare some truth about life and humanness. So let's dive in. From her collection entitled A Thousand Mornings, this is Mary Oliver's The Mockingbird. All summer, the mockingbird, in his pearl-gray coat and his white-windowed wings, flies from the hedge to the top of the pine and begins to sing. But it's neither lilting nor lovely, for he is the thief of other sounds— whistles and truck brakes and dry hinges, plus all the songs of other birds in his neighborhood. Mimicking and elaborating, he sings with humor and bravado, so I have to wait a long time for the softer voice of his own life to come through. He begins by giving up all his usual flutter and settling down on the pine's forelock, then looking around, as though to make sure he's alone. Then he slaps each wing against his breast, where his heart is, and, copying nothing, begins, easing into it as though it was not half so easy as rollicking, as though his subject now was his true self, which, of course, was as dark and secret as anyone else's. And it was too hard, perhaps you understand, To speak or to sing it to anything or anyone but the sky. Mm, I love this so much. Let's begin our discussion where she says that the mockingbird begins to sing, but it's neither lilting nor lovely, for he is the thief of other sounds. That neither lilting nor lovely line gets me. It makes me think of how there's always a sort of dissonance, a ring of something just a little off key when we do or say or create something that's just not quite true for us. Whether it's an insincere compliment or a path we take in our lives because it meets someone else's expectations or even just the way we show up on social media or other platforms that can be performative. Something about those things always seems to fall a little flat when they're not fully ours. Now, the word authenticity may be overused, but I think it's the right one here. I think we have a certain inherent radar for inauthenticity, whether in ourselves or in others, and it creates a subtle dissonance that often feels neither lilting nor lovely. I think this is the underlying issue with any one size fits all kind of approach to success of any kind. What works brilliantly for one person in their voice and out of their unique experiences falls completely flat for someone else, for their particular gifts and strengths and voice. She says he's a thief of other sounds, whistles and truck brakes and dry hinges, plus all the songs of the other birds in his neighborhood. Our lives can be noisy places, and it can be difficult to tell the difference sometimes between truck brakes and song. There is no shortage of whistles and truck brakes and dry hinges. I think of them as the noisy shoulds that could fill our ears, the social or cultural conditioning that can so noisily proclaim things like, A good mom should be a selfless smarter, or a real man should never show emotion, or a successful entrepreneur should work 80-hour work weeks. And these shoulds just clack away, drowning out what we know to be true for ourselves, and it can make it so hard to hear those truths. These whistles and truck brakes and dry hinges are such a waste of our voices, right? Of our time and energy and our talents. What we create is neither lilting nor lovely, but full of that dissonance, that off-key inauthenticity, and we feel unfulfilled when we do it, right? Like we're spending our lives yelling into the void, just adding to the noise. Now, when we begin that process of moving away from those shoulds, when we begin to hear the dissonance of that noise and begin looking for a way to hear past that training and conditioning, Often, it's the original music that others are creating in their lives that can become the lifeline, can become what pulls us forward and lets us start discerning the difference between noise and song. We hear stories of people who broke free in some way, who chose to change their path or defy convention. And they can become our role models, our sorts of gurus, They're often who we initially turn to when we want to begin hearing the whispers of our own songs. They might be who we look to to teach us what it might look or feel like to travel the world in a sailboat or start an organic farm or escape an abusive relationship or question a religious upbringing. They are the people making their art because they simply can't not make it, even though their families roll their eyes and tell them to get real jobs. The people who honor their joy of order and problem solving and become engineers despite bohemian upbringings. These songs of others can inspire us, introduce us to possibilities that we didn't realize even existed. That's powerful and the urge to emulate can be strong. But the thing about being the thief of the songs of others is that ultimately it never works. In the end, it's pretty much impossible to truly steal someone else's song. Again, whether it's a creative business or or a creative piece or a business or a lifestyle, what someone else has created is ultimately tied inextricably to Their own unique alchemy of nature and nurture, of genetics and inheritance and exposure and experience. And like I spoke about back in episode one, we can never fully see into the house of someone else's heart. There will always be chords in their songs that we can't quite figure out, that our own unique alchemy will get in the way of leaving our copies neither lilting nor lovely because the beautiful mysteries that create each of us strikes those chords just a little differently and makes just a slightly different sound. Now, I do wanna make one point here, and I think it's something that can be overlooked in this discussion sometimes. And that point is that I think this is where we often begin. Note that Mary Oliver says begins to sing and it's neither lilting nor lovely. I think it's a rare human who can hear their own song clearly when they first begin to sing. For many of us, it's a journey and it's often a messy and non-linear one to find our own songs. Sometimes the only way for us to discover that we even have a voice at all is to test it out by mimicking truck brakes and whistles, and then moving on to the songs of others that inspire us that we admire and which call us forward in some way. Maybe it's how we see that there's even a door hidden in the wall. We have to know it's there before we can walk through it, right? And she says, mimicking and elaborating, he sings with humor and bravado. We learn valuable skills as we make messes of other people's songs, as we attempt to mimic and elaborate. Maybe we need to literally or figuratively learn how to play the chords of every song the Beatles ever recorded before we have the skill set to write our own music. And sometimes it's that mimicking and elaborating sung with humor and bravado that is that necessary step before we can hear both what is lacking in our copies that hollow dissatisfaction that happens even when performed brilliantly and to have the courage to step out into our own songs i think of when i decided in my third year of law school that i wanted to be a photographer instead of a lawyer and i remember coming across all this stuff that always began with you know what's your photography style and at the time i was like uh i don't know photos that are in focus I had no idea what my style was. I was still trying to master basic settings and getting the expected image. I was new to art, to what creativity even looked like in my life in that way. I didn't have a style yet. I didn't have language to express what had called to me. I hardly had a sense of what I loved in other people's work. I mimicked what I saw. I emulated and expanded what I admired in other people's work. I was looking for threads that would lead me back to my own voice. And as my skill set grew, as I got to a point where those basics could become more automatic, my originality was able to grow as well. I was able to think a little more about what I wanted to create for my clients. And I began to develop something a little more aligned with how I uniquely was interpreting the people and the settings and events and the light in front of me, the story that I wanted to tell with my images. But it took a while. I didn't begin there. And I think had I waited for that stage before I was willing to begin, I never would have taken that first step toward creativity and an entirely different path for my life. Sometimes Fake it till you make it is what allows us to take those trembling first steps toward our own potential. But ultimately, right, the copying simply stops delivering. We get enough practice to begin to really hear the dissonance, to hear that the copy is neither lilting nor lovely, and we know that it's time to move on. But what does that work look like? I mean, it's one thing to know that we no longer want to mimic or expand someone else's life or work or song. And it's an entirely different thing altogether to know how to create our own. She says, He begins by giving up his usual flutter. He settles down and looks around as though to make sure he's alone and slaps each wing against his breast where his heart is. And Isn't this the truth that we hear over and over from every person who's ever accounted for that moment that they were able to hear the music of their own soul, who's heard, as Mary Oliver says, the softer voice of his own life? Stillness, quiet, figuring out how to shut out all that noise, all those voices and songs, and knock on the door of our own hearts, To reach that softer voice of our own lives, we, again, to reference episode one, have to be familiar with our own heart houses. We have to be willing to dig in and get curious and explore those rooms and hallways and listen for the notes that can only be found within those utterly unique spaces. So often when we first start listening for our own soft voice, it is a faint whisper, a fragile and naked thing that cannot bear a bunch of eyes on it or clanging noise around it if it can even have the smallest hope of being heard. We need to grow still, we need to grow quiet, to breathe life into our curiosity as. We explore to allow that curiosity to be the foundation for our courage, because we need courage for this. She says, his subject was now his true self, which of course is as dark and secret as anyone else's. To create from our true selves, from our own lived experiences and fears and vulnerabilities, it means looking into those shadowed spaces within us. Our lives and our hearts hold mysteries even to ourselves and it may be that it's through the act of creating, whether creating art or a business or a family or simply the rhythms and habits of our daily lives that we uncover new depths, new corners and nooks and crannies within ourselves. We dig deeper, we get quieter and we discover that there are new layers under old layers, subtexts to our inner conversations that we'd overlooked. And if we judge what we find there, if we decide that what we found is unacceptable or shameful or not enough or too much, then we will always be blocked from hearing the full range of our voice we'll remain unable to hear the soft voice of our own lives, and so we'll never be fully capable of living into the richness available to us. But if we can stay curious, if we can stay interested in what we find, we can keep uncovering, keep unmasking the beauty of our singularity, of our extraordinary and often messy humanity And it's from that that we create a symphony born of our true selves. She finishes with, it was too hard, perhaps you understand, to speak or to sing it to anything or anyone but the sky. Some of the truths that we discover in our dark and secret places, some of the chords that we create from our true selves may need to belong only to us or only to a trusted inner circle as we begin, sometimes temporarily and sometimes forever. Maybe it's a fragile wobbly first draft in need of coddling before it can withstand the harsh light of the cutting room, or a private joy that we can savor most fully without another's opinion or observation about it. And as we do the work of discovering our voices, it can be terrifying to sing out loud, Sometimes we may need to practice alone for a while before we're ready to expose our songs to the possible derision of the larger world. But sing we must. Our lives are our songs, and to live a life that is true for us, to create a life that is resonant with the chords that strike beauty and connection and compassion and courage into our days, we have to find our voices. often begin by mimicking, by exploring and learning what it feels like to copy, by discovering the different sounds and notes in our range, even if at first our voice is neither lilting nor lovely. But then we grow quiet, and that exploration turns inward, and we listen for what is resonating inside our own heart. It is solitary and sometimes lonely work, and it takes courage and curiosity to face what we find there, to peer into our dark and secret corners. But even if only for the sky, eventually we sing with the softer voice of our own lives, we sing. Now again, that's Mary Oliver's poem, The Mockingbird from her collection, A Thousand Mornings. If poetry is something that you've believed yourself not a fan of, I urge you to give Mary Oliver a try. As always, you can find the link to her book in my show notes at cindyjuvinoli.com backslash podcast. And it's also where you can leave me a comment with a quote or a piece of reading that has been meaningful in your life. I'll also add a few more poets that I love to the show notes as well, just in case. Now, today I want to share with you what Rob M., Another member of my community sent me. This is what he wrote. In 2015, I decided to reread all the books I'd read in high school and see what I thought of them as an adult. One of those books was Fahrenheit 451, and I wrote this quote from it onto an index card I keep on my desk at work, the quote. "'Stuff your eyes with wonder,' he said. "'Live as if you drop dead in 10 seconds. "'See the world. "'It's more fantastic than any dream made "'or paid for in factories.'" And Rob said, I struggle, like most people, I guess, to look up from my phone, and this quote reminds me to put it down, to get away from my computer and my screens and stuff my eyes with wonder. And I feel like this has had a big impact on the quality of my life, especially in this year of screens. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Rob. Next week, we're going to be pulling from Sharon Creech's middle grade novel, Ruby Holler. Until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Giovanoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word.